Has somebody ever been explaining something to you and it doesn't really make a lot of sense because you're not part of whatever it is they're doing and they're using all these words that you don't know and they're obviously really proud of it so it's a big deal but you don't really get it? Welcome to the show. This is That Means Nothing to Me, a podcast about incredibly specific accomplishments. My name is Trey Taylor, I'm your host, and this is our first episode, so thank you so much for tuning in. The idea for the show came from the fact that everybody is proud of something, but not everybody might understand why somebody is proud of something they're proud of, unless they're a member of the group of people to which that thing really means something. Hence the name, That Means Nothing to Me. I think what's so cool about this podcast is it gives me the opportunity to clarify that moment in a conversation where nobody's on the same page and either someone's explaining something to you and you're lost or you're explaining something and you can tell that the other people are lost. This show exists to take that moment and just kind of hit pause and ask questions and get definitions and understand what's going on rather than just kind of nodding and moving on. Hopefully getting through to a point of comprehension where everybody can celebrate with this one person who's proud of something rather than them feeling as if it's not worth it to try to explain or if they did try to explain it's just it's not going to be understood. So again, thank you so much for tuning in, giving us a chance, episode one. I hope you enjoy the show. So to start out, can you, can you tell me your name and what you'd like to be called? Uh, well, I mean, my name is Nick. I like to be called <laughs> Nick. Or you could call me Barry Allen if you'd like. Ah, okay. Wow, that is... For the record, don't I call want me. you to know that he's wearing a Flash shirt. Don't call me Barry Allen. And has a backwards Flash snapback. And I know off the top of my head that the wallpaper of your phone is also the Flash. It's, this is true. It is. It is. Um, I have a problem. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> the first uh, the first stage is admittance, right? I mean, That's true. I agree with that. So. Well, so, Nick, the premise of the show, as I have explained it to you before, is there are tons of things in people's professions and in people's lives that they are inherently proud of that I don't understand. And um, I'm sure that I, I know off the top of my head that there's a ton of stuff you do that I don't understand. But um, could you just kind of explain a little bit your, like, your job, what you do for fun, kind of introduce yourself a little bit? So, uh... What I do for a living is, is property management. You know, I'm a service manager. Uh, right now, my job is really easy. I just manage a team to do all the hard work for me. But I didn't always used to do that. I had to do the hard work myself. You know, which included um, HVAC, air conditioners, and stuff, which I know you're not very familiar with at all. But you know, so in, in a nutshell, my job is to fix things, or currently to manage people to fix things. All right. Um, 
Yeah, in my free time, I like to do what everybody likes to do. Video games, watch TV, Netflix, whatever. But I also I also like to get out and I play disc golf. Um, which, really? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a little while. I haven't gotten to play out uh, in a couple months now. You know, it, it used to be something, especially when I lived in Gainesville. I mean, we'd go every day after work, and we'd go to the course, and we'd throw. Um, you know, so that's, that's just that's one of my hobbies. story of like who you are and what you do out of the way in as few words as possible tell me what it is you are proud of that i just would not get the perfect line in disc golf the perfect perfect line in disc golf yeah okay well inferring let's see so perfect line is gonna be like i'm gonna equate that to a drive Mm -hmm. in like (laughs) dare i say real golf yeah well that's Um, fair and so just I'm, I'm gonna assume the feeling right when that disc leaves your hand you know it's just flawless you can see the wind you can see the disc you can see the arc you know right where it's gonna land yeah until it doesn't oh uh, <laughs> well tell me a little about I've, I've i've never played disc golf yeah. i have i have absolutely no experience with disc golf when you when you throw a disc right people always think you throw a disc like you throw a frisbee and that's entirely wrong you try and throw a disc like a frisbee and it's just gonna hit the ground um, it's not, it's, it's, I mean, you're either going to go way up with it and it's going to smack down to the ground or you're just going to spike it. Um, they don't fly the same. I mean, discs are weighted, uh, and there are different molds and different shapes in the plastic and everything for different flight pattern. I've, I've been playing a few years, right? I'm, I'm nowhere near professional. I'm amateur at best. Right. But, uh, it took me so long to figure out the, the backhand throw. Sure. Um, I mean, I've been throwing forearm, which is sidearm for you know people that don't know um forever and throwing a backhand it's so easy to just miss your shot um you you grip it too long and you're throwing way out right you let go too early and you're going way out left but when you practice it enough and you you rip it this you can feel it pull right out of your hand you don't you don't want to like let go of it you want it to just force its way out of your hand and it just flies exactly where you want it to it feels nice yeah I can imagine that. Yeah, I do know from experience playing Ultimate Frisbee in high school that the difference in like a loser and a super cool guy was how you threw a Frisbee. And so the the people who, uh, for those listening, I'm making the motion with my hand right now. People who threw like outside, right, were the coolest people because like you tried to do it and you bombed it, obviously, and you go, wow, that's insane. I don't know how that works. And then I'm over here like, just beaning it into the ground <laughs> and like standing there and going, Oh guys, I'm sorry. I'll get it next time. And then I never got a pass yeah, again. Yeah. Yeah. I can't throw a regular uh, Frisbee either. So yeah. I, know, I know the feeling weird. That's such a weird, like acquired skill that you yeah. can do one, but and not the other. And there's the hammer once you're going over top. Of I it. have seen that as well. Yeah. I've seen that. And it's customary to like smack it with your other hand beforehand when you yeah. throw it. I've seen yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, another thing I don't understand. Yeah. That means nothing to me. Yeah. <laughs> it means nothing to me either. It helps. There we go. It means nothing to either one of us. Thank you so 
much for uh, for explaining the the feeling of what did you say? Getting the perfect line, yeah. the perfect line in disc golf. Yeah, the perfect right. line, the perfect line in disc golf. That means something to me. <laughs> oh, that's, that was clever. It does. Yeah. I like that. I decided that's what I'm going to say at the end, when it when it's like all explained. That's what I'm going to say. That like, I really liked that. That was actually that was a yeah. Well, I just I just thought of it just now. That was brilliant. Thank you. Yeah. This yeah. is why this is why you're going to be the greatest of all time. We'll leave that in. We'll leave that. In. Okay. We'll be back with part two right after this. about to hear is slightly different from the first one. The quarantine went into full effect in between the two interviews I had scheduled. So that meant while Nick was able to come over to my house and record in person, Michael opted to record over the phone instead. So what follows is the first completely remote interview I've ever conducted in my life. All right, so to, uh, to start out, would you mind just kind of uh, introducing yourself, telling me your name, your title, what you do? and how you'd like me to refer you if it's like a Pascal LeBlanc or... Oh boy. Um, so I, my name is Michael LeBlanc. I'm the director of student ministries uh, for a United Methodist Church. I'm also a certified candidate uh, for ordained ministry in the United Methodist Church, which means I don't have a title. Um, so it's not reverend or pastor or anything like that. It's just Michael. Um, and... I have also uh, served as a hospital chaplain uh, through a local hospital system. When I was doing that, I was Chaplain Michael, but I'm not doing that right now, and so I'm not Chaplain Michael. So, um, I yeah, I'm just Michael. All right. Well, I've got a couple questions for you that I've written down beforehand. The main uh, the main purpose of this show, uh, the main purpose of that means nothing to me. Uh, is for me to ask you kind of to phrase in the most purposely confusing way possible yeah. um, what it is you do in your in your hobby or in your job uh, that would mean nothing to someone else. Uh, let me think. Uh, I want to be real, real convoluted here. All right, that's perfect. I served an ancient community raising their young in the ancient laws of our community while also serving the spiritual needs of people who were physically sick, while also attending an ancient, an ancient institution completely online, all at the same time. And then it all culminated in me receiving a certificate that said I have mastered the divine. Wow, okay. Unvoluted enough. I think I think mastering the divine is about as convoluted as you can get. Yes. 
explain it like a normal person. Um, I worked in, uh, earlier in 2019. I worked full time with the church in student ministry, which means I uh, pastored and led and uh, programmed for grades six through twelve at our church. Um, and then, while doing that, also finished up a master's degree uh, through a seminary uh, called Iliff School of Theology. Um, finished that in May, and then. While doing all of that, I also worked as a hospital chaplain full-time. Um, and so I did three things full-time. Luckily, the master's program was kind of wrapping up when, when all three were going at once. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's that's what I did in, in normal normal people talk. Still not very normal, because it still has a lot of insider church language in there. <laughs> but um, still, that's, uh, that's what I did. That's... That's just a lot going on at the same time. Um, and I, I think what's what's most impressive to me about that is that I still, after the explanation, I, I kind of, I mean, I've, full disclosure, I have been a part of Michael's youth group. So I do understand exactly, like, the leadership style that he had, which was kind yeah. of to be one of the boys, you know? Um, but as for, like, actually chaplaining, is that chaplaining? Being a chaplain? Chap- Planing, okay. That's that's spelled C H apostrophe planing. Yep. Of course. Yep. Um. What what all goes into what all like what's expected of you on a daily? What was your yep. what was your when life like? Yeah, when you're planing, or in on a sense when you're um, in chaplaincy, um, what that looks like is um, the program that I was in Monday, Wednesday, and Friday would go to the hospital, the local hospital. Um, at 9.30 every morning, and then uh, go from room to room, um, oftentimes uh, uh, just going to, you know, individual rooms, not knowing the person at all, introducing yourself and asking them if they needed to talk to someone. Uh, most of the time, people would say, yes, would love to talk to you, and then you'd have a polite conversation, and, um, and, and then you would move on your way after saying a prayer. In really wonderful situations, you would say, hi, I'm a chaplain, uh, would you like to talk to someone? And the person would respond, no, I'm an atheist, I don't want to talk to you. Um, and then I would say, okay, and then as I went to leave, they would say, and another thing. And then we would talk for like an hour about how they don't believe in anything. Um, and that was always kind of my favorite. Uh, Sometimes we would also, I would get to talk to people that were near the end of this life, um, or I would talk to people who had just welcomed a person into life. I was in charge of the mother-baby unit on Mondays, and that was a, a great, big, fun time for me, because uh, I'm a big fan of babies. Um, and then also would, um, during that program, be on call over the weekends which means I'd have the pager, uh, which was a weird experience for me because uh, I didn't grow up around pagers. Um, I would have a pager on me, and so if someone needed to talk to someone about God at 3 a.m., I was the person they'd call. I'd throw on my chaplain uh, garb and race down to the hospital and, and talk to them about their faith and uh, lack of faith and 
what happens when we die, what happens when we're scared, all those things. So it was a lot of really sacred uh, conversations mixed in with completely normal conversations. It was a cool experience. That's 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 really unique. That's not something that I think. I mean, I personally, that's something that I definitely can't relate to. I've never had, never been on call for like God duty. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's really what it is, you know. Um, and it's also not super common even amongst like pastors. Like, um, you know, my particular flavor of pastor, I'm going to be a Methodist pastor, and so a lot of Methodist pastors do this. Um, but a lot of your run of the mill, you know down the street, non-denominational Baptist pastor won't have this experience. Um, and so it's pretty unique to be able to, to share that space with people. The term that we use in the chaplaincy world is you hold a non-anxious presence. Huh. And so I walk into the room and you just found out, you know, that you've got um, some sort of respiratory illness or find out that you got to get your ACL repaired or, you know, you find out that a loved one passed away. I walk into the room and I'm not anxious. You're anxious. You're scared out of your mind. You're sad. You're excited. Any of those things. And I just go in and I'm, you know, vanilla ice cream. And the the woo-woo Christian way that I put what a chaplain does is my job is to go into a space and point out where Jesus is. A lot of times people feel like Jesus isn't around when things are going to crap. My job is to just point to where Jesus already is. And so, for me, that was just a wonderful, fun experience being able to say, you know, I know that you're hurting right now, but you're not hurting by yourself. Um, So it was a massive blessing being able to do that. talked about the atheists that you would run into um and like that and another thing conversation like turning the room around what like is there a specific example that comes to mind is there one that i mean is there any kind of disclosure agreement like between i'd be interested like a therapist right because if you if they were to be like oh when i was 10 i i killed a man and i i don't really know how god feels about that and you'd be like not very good Yeah, so the rule that I had, um, the number one thing is that I could never identify who I was talking to, ever. Um, I couldn't say, like, you know, this is not a real example, but I couldn't even say, I talked with someone who's a U.S. senator and, uh, you know, has um, a background in health management, you know, because that could identify who I was talking to. What I could say was I uh, talked with a male who was Caucasian, who was 47. That's it. Like, that's that's all I could talk about Um, because of this thing called HIPAA, uh, which is Health Information Patient Protection Act. Oh, my gosh. I actually know the acronym. Um, But, yeah, if someone said, I killed a man in Reno just to watch him die, uh, I'm pretty sure I had to report that. Luckily, it never came up. Uh, But to answer your question effectively and purposely, purposefully, vaguely, anytime that I talk to someone who didn't believe in God, what we did end up talking about is what they did believe in. You know, they believed in their family, 
they believed in how much they didn't like the doctors. Uh, they believed in how much it, that their spouse was with them and caring for them. Um, you know, it's amazing. It's amazing how much every single human being believes in. Um, because, you know, faith isn't, isn't just in a deity. Faith is also in the chair that you're sitting in. Faith is in, you know, um, the family that you've identified with. Faith is in the love that you have for anything or anyone. Um, faith is something truly human. And so being able to have those conversations when people are incredibly vulnerable is a huge blessing and responsibility. Um, and so, yeah, I'm proud that I was able to have those conversations with people and, again, you know, point them to the light and the heart within them. Would you say there are any specific outliers to this idea that everyone believes in something? Or, really or is it question. kind of a universal, would you say, like, there isn't anybody that doesn't believe in something? I... So I, I, I think my answer is no. I think everyone believes in something. But I think that that just might be skewed by my own perspective. Right? You know, I, I come in as a chaplain. I've got a name tag that says chaplain. Sometimes I'd be wearing a collar, uh, you know, like, uh, like, a, like a priest does. And so, like, yeah, if everything looks like a nail, or if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Um... But at the same time, I, I just, I've had so many interactions with so many different kinds of people that if it's not a deity, it's something else. If it's not a family, it's something else. If it's not themselves, it's something else. I, I mean, also, all my interactions are in a hospital. So at minimum, you're like, I believe that these doctors are going to take care of me. You know, I believe that um, these nurses have my best interest in mind. Um, and they all did. The, the nurses I worked with were unbelievable. So yeah, that that's a really good question. But yeah, I think everyone I think everyone believes in something. Did you ever run into any situations where you feel like you either didn't or couldn't help? Oh yeah, all the time, man. All the time. That's a good question. Do you ever For run sure. into anything where you feel like you made it worse? Uh, okay, so, that's a, that's a great question. So, I'll answer both of them. Um, number one, there were plenty of times when I realized that my, that my tank was empty, but I was still in the room. Um, and, and it was just tragic enough to where I was like, oh, I'm, I'm not helpful anymore. And then I would offer a prayer, and then I would leave. Um... And I think the beginning of my time as a chaplain, I would think, oh my gosh, I just made that worse. Like, I made that so much worse. And one of my mentors um, said to me, it is impossible for you to make a situation worse as long as you go in with the perspective of someone who's there to help. And so that was really freeing for me because, you know, especially when I was with mothers and babies, I'd walk in and be like, wow, you guys don't need a visitor. You guys need a nap. Um but realizing that by being in the room, I was adding to the situation no matter what, that was super helpful for me. So I don't think I ever made it worse. Um, but I do think that there were times where it was like, you know, I've just, 
I've helped, but I've not healed. Um, and that was a big lesson that I had to learn. I had to learn that it wasn't my job to fix anything. My job was just to say, wow, this is going to get fixed one day. How would one master divinity? How do you actually get a certificate on the wall that says you have actually mastered this concept of divinity? So it's a funny, it's a funny balance, right? So uh, on one end, you can't master divinity. You just can't. Um, divinity, the idea of something divine, the idea of something moving beyond and throughout and within every single thing around us is so ancient and has so many different iterations that it's impossible to really put your arms all the way around that. In, in its own definition, if it is infinite, we as finite beings can't truly wrap our arms all the way around it. On the other end, there is way too much schooling. It is unbelievable. To get a Master's Divinity, you have to do one academic year less than a medical doctorate. Wow. So, you have as much classroom time as a neurologist. So, that's too much. <laughs> Jeez. Classes <laughs> for me centered around um, history. So a lot of history, church history, biblical history. Also focused on um, nonprofit management, like how to run a nonprofit, which is actually pretty unique. Most seminaries don't do any management training a lot of like how to understand the bible like just one text really understanding what it's teaching you and then just like a you know just an absolute crud ton of understanding who we are as a person and so it was three academic years and it took me five calendar years to do it but it was a myriad of things that i got to learn about uh through conversation with other people and just so many books just just an inordinate inordinate amount of books there are public libraries in small towns that have less books than i do wow. guarantee these these books range in topics from you know church history and like what what it looked like to be a christian in 280 ethiopia to sexual ethics and what it means to be um, ecologically, theologically based, um, everything, 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 um, and all pointed towards just this one, you know, relatively unemployed Jewish rabbi uh, in 30 AD, um, and so it's a, it's a wild, wild thing.
that's that's how I would explain it in the most succinct way. That as a hospital chaplain, I was able to walk into moments that felt dead and expose the life with. I think that's really awesome. I, I mean, I think that's something that you could say to almost anyone, and they would at least understand like the mindset behind it, if not yeah. the intention. Yeah, and, and you know, maybe not the 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 bits and pieces, but um, at least the heart. At least the heart. That Means Nothing to Me is a brand new podcast hosted by me, Trey Taylor. Audio editing is done on Audacity Suite 2.3. We're recorded on a Yeti Blackout omnidirectional mic. All of our music credits can be found in the show notes wherever it is you are listening to this. Special thanks go to Mara Oropesa, Darian Wigan, Mackenzie Bland, Lauren Kazimba, Jennifer Gibson, Susan and Ricky Taylor, Nick Ragavan, Michael LeBlanc, and you for tuning into the first episode. We're still working on the formatting, length, and overall vibe of the show. So if you have any questions, comments, or if you just want to let me know what you thought, please feel free to shoot me an email at contact at thatmeansnothing.com. We can also be found on all social media at that means zero, the number zero. Thanks for listening.